Hello, I'm Stephen Fry, a trustee of the Royal Academy of Arts and very proud to be so. Welcome to our podcast. So it's my honour to welcome you here tonight for what I think will be a lively and provocative, I hope, discussion and maybe even debate. We're going to be looking at the ideas of age and beauty and above all how these concepts do or do not relate to each other. We also expect to discuss La Vecchia a little bit um, and whether portrayals of age have changed over time. But first, a few words about where we're at today. In 2016, in Western Europe, we're living at a unique historical time. We're living through a demographic transition when we have more people aged over 60 than under the age of 16. And throughout the world, populations are aging at an unprecedented rate. However, we still tend to associate age with decline, decay, and disaster. Certainly, age and beauty are rarely considered together. Culturally, age might be represented as wise or experienced, but very few examples or representations of age as physically beautiful. Beauty tends to be a quality that is associated solely and exclusively with youth. There are surely many reasons for this, and I don't expect tonight we're going to arrive at any answers, certainly nothing definitive. But I'm hoping that with these wonderful panellists, we'll arrive at some interesting questions, at least. Throughout our discussion, we're going to be focusing on representations of women. This is because women tend to live longer than men. From the 1500s and even before till today, ageing has been mostly a woman's issue. In addition, in historical terms, women have been rarely represented. And it is therefore interesting and relevant to think about what these portrayals indicate about how societies see older women. And of course, it's for this reason that La Vecchia stands out and is such an extraordinary portrait. But here to spark this discussion tonight, I'm delighted to introduce these panellists, starting with Lynn Seagal, who is a permanent, she tells me, anniversary professor at Birkbeck, the University of London. If you're curious about what anniversary means, I suggest you ask her later. She has written many, many books, too many for me to list at all. But from Is the Future Female to Changing Men, Straight Sex, The Politics of Pleasure, um, and most recently, um, and certainly influentially for me, has been out of time, the pleasures and perils of ageing. She's currently writing a new book on radical happiness, which she said was important because people kept asking if she was going to write about death. <laughs> she said no. Um, turning here to Aileen Ribeiro, she's the head of the History of Dress Department at the Courtauld Institute. She was, and she is now Professor Emeritus in the history of art. She also lectures widely in Great Britain, Europe, and North America, and has acted as a costume consultant to many major art exhibitions. She's written also many books, but perhaps most relevant for tonight, her book Facing Beauty um, has been amazingly important. She is currently writing a book about the relationship between art and fashion, which is due out later this year. And absolutely not least is Sarah Dunant. She's a writer and broadcaster 
um, although primarily a novelist, um, and I think it's important to stress that. Um, her novels include the international best-selling trilogy, The Birth of Venus, and I think most recently, Blood and Beauty, which is about the infamous Borgia family and is totally gripping. I can't, can't quite put it down at the moment. Um, for many years, she was on the editorial board um, of the RA magazine. So pausing there, I would like to open the discussion tonight with a provocative, perhaps, question. And I'm going to turn to Aileen first. I'd like to ask if age and beauty, in terms of visual representation, are always diametrically opposed. Now, in Aileen's book, Facing Beauty, she, and I'm quoting um, a part of this, she says that a problem with beauty is that it rarely outlasts use, and that we are conditioned to see time as a flaw on the faces of women. So if the t signs of time are a flaw on the faces of women, can older women ever be represented as beautiful? I think the answer to that is very, very rarely, because age and beauty are so distinct. And it's interesting that images of beautiful women tend to be when they're young, when they're on the marriage market, and there are far fewer images of women generally than there are of men. If we um, go back, if we may, Hannah, to the Batoni portrait, please. Mm -hmm. um, we can see, um, this is Batoni's Time Orders Old Age to Destroy Beauty of 1746. And time there is the winged figure with an hourglass. And old age, the character of old age is a woman there clawing at the face of a young and beautiful <coughs> woman. And time is really what we are about when we think about age and beauty, because time actually destroys, or largely destroys, at least perhaps until the contemporary period now, the 21st century, time largely destroys any vestiges of beauty. And of course, the holy grail of the beauty industry at this moment and in the past few hundred years is really to find something that will restore a sense of youth to women in old age. Thank you very much. I'd like to turn to Sarah now. Drawing on your extraordinary knowledge of, of Renaissance Europe and your kind of immersion in that period, um, I'd be really interested. In, in Blood and Beauty, you have a lot of descriptions of very beautiful young women that I've read so far. Mm. I'd like to know what you think about the portrayals of age and beauty. And well, I just want to say briefly that, of course, men are portrayed as beautiful when they're older all the time. And I could take you all out to the National Gallery now, where they should have got Doge Loredan for the Giorgione exhibition, which is a 60-plus-year-old man who is gorgeous, but what you're looking at is power as much as you're looking at physical beauty. And that's what men managed to have pulled off through the years, and there are many, many reasons for that, um, and we'll go into them, I'm sure. But although I think we're going to be talking here tonight something about the kind of cultural misogyny behind that. It's men's gaze that creates art. Very often it's men who pay for it. What do they want to look at? I think we have to be very clear here and come clean about biology too, which is certainly in the period that I am looking at. Youth in women is about potency and reproduction. And men continue to be potent in all manner of ways for an indefinite length of time. 
And although, as I say, there are many structures to back up how badly women are treated and how you only see beautiful young women and not the beauty of aging women when they become either witches or old gnarled nuns or whatever, I don't think we can absolutely blanket out the fact that some of this is even deeper than cultural misogyny. It's about biology. Thank you. Um, now, Lynn, you've written eloquently about age and ageing out of time, as I mentioned earlier. And in the chapter, How Old Am I?, you write and you quote Colette, who's, who's also one of my heroes, or heroines, in fact. And you say that she talks about how much time and effort it takes to disguise that monster, the old woman. So I wonder what you think about the relationship between age and beauty. I think the first thing to say, which has already been touched on, is that both those notions are already gendered. We already think of old age as more associated with women, yeah. as because it's meant to suggest fragility, dependence, weakness, which old women are much less likely to have than old men, actually. But nevertheless, that's how we see it. And what men's real fear of ageing is some sense that it turns them into women, so that there's something about old age itself which is already feminized. The same is true for beauty. Outside of gay context on the whole, men want to be seen as wise and handsome old men. Beauty is, there isn't, beauty is something that you tend to objectify, actually. And so I, both those concepts are already gendered. And being gendered, it's absolutely clear that women are aged by culture decades before men, decades before men. That's what Susan Sontag said in 1972 when she wrote about the double standards of ageing. But Colette, of course, said it long before. So much work has to go in to hiding that monster, the old woman. And she was actually having facelifts back in the 1920s. Imagine what they were like. I mean, I believe they're bad enough now. But then <laughs> they must have been Terrifying. really yeah. grim. And, and so the pressure is on women everywhere to try and look ageless. And that's what the whole cosmetic and surgical industry is flourishing on now, that attempt of women to feel that they just won't be acceptable anywhere unless they can stay looking ageless. And they really won't. Of those who've lost their jobs over the age of 50, between 50 and 65, over 40% of them have been women at over 50. So, you know, there yeah. is a real yeah. truth to yeah. women needing to and having to try and appear ageless. And, and can just we like actually try to, to work out precisely what we mean by beauty? and whether beauty can apply to men, as I think you're suggesting. Because there are so many words, I mean, with men, perhaps the word handsome may be a better word than beauty. Uh, it's a semantic problem, it's, it's trying to define what we actually mean by beauty. I, and, and there's this difference, I think, between the idea of beauty, if we can go back to La Bella, um, yeah. please, where there's clearly this sense of, of beauty as being part, of a specific part of a particular culture or society. Yeah. And then there's the idea of beauty as being 
universal, that something that is quite timeless and is completely sort of beyond what we actually think of as a sort of society and all the cultural attributes that go with society. And if we look at Dharma Vecchio's La Bella, we can see that she's very much typically, I think, here of, of a, a beautiful Venetian woman. And, and uh, uh, Palma Vecchio was a, an artist from Bergamo, but was certainly in, in Venice by 1510. And this sense of a soft sort of voluptuous figure with her dress sort of falling off her body, so to speak, is very much the perfect beauty of, say, 15, 18 right. to 20 and in Venice. Could, but would she be regarded as perfect could, in any other Could time? I add Thank to you. that that we yeah. know she's, we're pretty certain she was a courtesan, right? Yes, well, so she not probably only is. There, is yes. Not only is there beauty on show there, there's a version of sexual availability yes. and ripeness of flesh. I mean, I would argue that in terms of masculine beauty, there's a kind of, and you call it gay now, but I think it was more blurred five or six hundred years ago during the Renaissance. There's a kind of pudgy, ripe male beauty. I only have to say the word to you, Saint Sebastian. Okay. And okay. I think that you all know what I mean. Are you talking about the is, Renaissance period? Uh, well, I don't know any Saint Sebastians now, but the, the ones I know certainly are within the Renaissance. And it is about, it's about the availability and the sexuality of young flesh as much as this is about some ideal of physics. Okay, from this, from this, I'm going to stop now, right now, and move on to the idea of La Vecchia, or the, the representation of La Vecchia. Because it seems like talking about what beauty is, we could, we could take up the evening, but talking easily and, and trying to define it, but it'd be interesting to, to come back to this representation um, and ask each of you why you think it's such a significant representation of age and ageing, if indeed you think it is. I, so starting with Lynn. Okay. Well, I think that it is a fascinating image, partly because it does show some respect. It does, you know, it is quite pleasant to look at. And this is a picture from the 16th century, which is at the height of witchcraft in Europe, mm. when you're having older women completely demonised and indeed the majority of people who were burnt at the stake and tortured, the majority of them were older women on their own without any male protector. And um, the hammer, the, um, the two Jesuits who wrote about their uh, malefactions, yes, they um, uh, said that we know that woman is a weaker vessel and as she gets older, her carnality, and she has her great carnality, makes her a vessel for the devil to enter. And so we have, uh, in Goya, commenting on that, actually, a couple of centuries later, he's commenting on that, on the, old, the portrayal of the older woman as you know, almost deadly for society, eating babies. Actually, it's rather similar to the image of the Jew eating babies and, um, uh, you know, taking young maidens away in order to teach them perversity and to bring pestilence on societies in general. So given that that is a predominant theme in Europe at the moment, then that is an interesting image to contrast with that image of... Uh, I think the, the idea devil. of witches is, is fascinating um, in relation to this portrait. Certainly. Quite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll come on to those those, those images. Um, I think she's she's a fascinating portrayal. And from um, even now, going right into the 21st century, I find very few 
images of older women which are quite as compelling um, as, as La Vecchia. Um, there are various things that I find fascinating. Um, she's talked about as though she has no teeth, but in fact, if you look closely, she does in fact have teeth, and it's something that we all mentioned when we gathered earlier this evening. Um, and one of the observations I find also fascinating is that she's, her hand holding col tempo, which means with time, um, as though that's maybe also going to happen to all of us, and pointing at herself. But the hand itself is not an older hand. And it's something that I wonder whether that was added later. And so that's the, the reading of this portrait as an allegorical image is one that, that I question, but that's just my reading. Aileen, I wonder what you think about it. I, I think what's unique about this, it must be one of the earliest very sympathetic images of an old woman. And I think this sense of, of her face with the wrinkles on it, but actually a fairly well-preserved face. And this is actually unusual, I think, given not just that women really sort of, um, I think, aged quicker than men and more dramatically than men, as an argument pro and, and against this, but also because many women were, by this time, wearing lead-based cosmetics, which actually <laughs> caused wrinkles and their teeth to fall out, which is not the case here, and, and, and generally ended in madness. But it's, it, it's, as I say, it's a very, very sympathetic image. It shows her wearing a very, very simple, flesh-colored dress with a fringed white mantle over the shoulder. It's, it is both of its time, and it is completely timeless. And it's one way of actually sort of producing a sympathetic, and I'm sure it must, be, must have been an actual portrait of a real model, but it is timeless as well to a large extent. Yes. Thank you. I wonder, Sarah. Could I add that she's looking at us? And I think this is really important, actually. M great many of those images of young, busty, beautiful, available young women, particularly when they are coming onto us, are not actually directly communicating with it. There will be one very soon after her. Titian's Venus of Urbino, who has no clothes on, will be directly looking at us. But it's very unusual for women to almost be bold and confident enough about their sense of self, let alone when they're not particularly young and beautiful anymore, to look at us. And I think almost certainly, and I have no way of proving it, but I'm sure you'll agree, he knew her and he, he liked her. He did know her, I'm sure right. that he must have yeah. done. And I mean, if we compare this to the Gerrit Du portrait, if you can share forward. that, of an old woman, um, in the 1630 to 1635, she isn't actually engaging us in the same way, uh, as, as Sarah says, um, but she is obviously the epitome of old age. When this is a Dutch artist of the 17th century looking at an old woman who used, in fact, to be known as Rembrandt's um, mother, I think, um, which is certainly not the case, but the Dutch artist here is choosing to depict this old woman in a fanciful costume, in a robe lined with fur, which is actually the kind of thing that is worn by men rather than by women, and a very strange fur cap over which there are bands of sort of white linen. But again, there is this sense, I think, with, as with the, uh, the wonderful Giorgione portrait, of a sense of timelessness. It's meant to be a sort of sympathetic portrait of old age and the way that women are aging. I think in just Thank the same you. way. Can yeah. I just say, when you'll never find a sympathetic portrait is when you have older women's eroticism portrayed. And so uh, La Vecchia is painted at the same time as Quentin Matz's um, ugly old duchess. Oh, and yes. uh, she's showing a little bit of cleavage and she's there simply to be mocked. 
no other reason. And so I do think this yeah. sexuality associated with old age for women is mm. what is yeah. seen as hugely offensive. Mm. I, I quite agree. Can I, I, can I was I, also going to make an observation because uh, you're talking about how she's looking at us, that also her mouth is open, right. which is fascinating. So it's a dialogic portrait. Um, it is as though she's talking to well, us. She, yeah, she's speaking to us. Um, in terms of why it's extraordinary during this period, I think you have to put into the context of what the other places are that women appear in art, be it even young or old. And for a second, we have to sink ourselves back into religion. Because there's absolutely no doubt that during this whole period, and the Giorgione is absolutely slap bang in the middle of it, that one of the reasons that there are few portraits of old women is that the main elements of how women appeared on the walls if they weren't courtesans was through Bible and the Bible story. And when you look at the two places where women have a role within Catholicism, unfortunately, they are both about youth and beauty. So when you think about Mary, who is a profoundly important figure, what you're looking at is virginity and you're looking at beautiful, young passivity. She's an absolutely remarkable figure, and she becomes iconic right the way through our notion of beauty, I think, right up until day. But the second one, which I think is even more interesting, is the other woman in the Bible, which is Mary Magdalene. Because Mary Magdalene, we know she arrives as a bit of a goer, right? But she exits after the cross. And I do want to add here that the only time you see Mary old is in some paintings with the dead Christ. If you think about Mantegna's dead Christ or you think about Bellini, you are looking at a woman who is over 50. But there, her wrinkles are about spiritual and human grief. So there is a beauty there which is larger than the physical and the sexual. But when you get to Mary Magdalene, we do know that actually she goes out into the wilderness after the death, and she's old and penitent, and she actually ages finding a way to Christ. You give that image into the hands of most of the great or not so great artists in the period, and you get, perhaps you'd give us this, right? So what you get is basically the birth of Venus with the hair and the breasts, as a statement of Mary Magdalene. So they use the biblical figure in order to go for youth and beauty again. And I, in all of my research, can only find one truly astonishing difference here. And it's a century before this. And I'm just going to show it to you so you can sit with it. It is Donatello's Mary Magdalene, a wooden carved statue, which I think shows a kind of spirituality and a sense of deep aging or not physical beauty that goes way, in a sense, way beyond the discussion we're having here tonight and is maybe where, we'll say the words once or twice here, great art enters the room in the discussion. Yeah. A controversial comment, great art. <laughs> and also another discussion as well, a massive discussion. Um, what's interesting to think about as well is how portrayals of older women and age and beauty might have changed over time. So that's something that we've, we've thought about. Um, and there are lots of ways into this. Um, there are a lot of different images. Um, this is where the Gerard Du image um, is, is fascinating. Um, and then we have the insane woman by Jericho, who's clearly and definitely an older woman. And I can't help but think he might have seen uh, La Vecchia. There are some sorts of similarities for me. 
Um, and then we have uh, the witches, or the, from the Visiones, witches and old women, and that kind of constant coupling of old women with witches is something that's hard to get away from. Um, and Whistler's portrait here. So we are kind of moving through time. We're now in 1871, um, and yet there seems to me to be some synchronicity in the way older women are being represented. I wonder can, what you think, can, Aileen. Can we, we go back to yeah. the Catherine Macaulay um, caricature? Oh, yeah, right back. So it seems to me that there are images of women which are, some of them are satirical and some of them are actually quite honest representations of age. And the, I put in this caricature here of the historian and Republican, uh, Catherine Macaulay of 1777, where the subtext, as you can see, is a speedy and effectual preparation for the next world. I mean, this is a woman who is actually aged 46 at the time of this caricature. Um, regarded as, as quite aged, and one has to remember that in the early modern period with which we are dealing today, um, women begin to be middle-aged by, by 30 and certainly are regarded as old, as old by 40. And Catherine Macaulay was famous for her perhaps intemperate use of um, cosmetics and face paints, many of which <laughs> were based on lead, which was, of course, extremely dangerous and could lead to, to an early death and insanity. So what this caricature is doing is showing how death is very close to her, just behind her. And there she is in the kind of loose dress that an old woman would wear at this particular time. And on her hairstyle, which is actually a false wig that she's wearing, and these extraordinary hairstyles were very, very popular and fashionable in the 1770s, there is a sort of funeral cortege on the top um, where the horses have got feathers on, and feathers were traditional sign of sort of folly and insanity um, from the Middle Ages onwards. And she is actually painting her face with rouge. So it's, it's about women's vanity. It's a caricature of women's vanity in this woman in particular and the way in which vanity can actually lead to sort of peril and to actually death and insanity. And then we do have uh, honest representations of women as well, such as in perhaps the most famous image of, of, of an old woman, which is Whistler's portrait of his mother, which um, I think we, we went past earlier on, and there she is. And I was talking about timelessness early on, and the sense here of, of, of Whistler's mother, an arrangement in grey and black, looking quite timeless, because what she is wearing is mourning, which always remains behind contemporary fashion. And as she was a widow, she's aged about 67 at this point. So she's wearing old-fashioned dress, which is mourning dress. So there is this sense of serenity and dignity. And I, th I think it's not just because Whistler's <coughs> depicting his mother. He's more interested in the idea of the sort of clothing and the colour rather than the image of the woman per se. But it is, I think, a very, very sympathetic portrait. And so there are these two senses here of women who are mocked for their vanity and mocked for the fact that they are old and, and perhaps really fairly grotesque in appearance, and also a number of sympathetic portraits where you can see the reality of old age and its dignity and serenity. Thank you. Uh, Lynn, I wonder what you think about the way in which portrayals have changed over time, or, well, or have they changed? I think what's interesting is how slow it's been to change. And although it's true that we're seen as old, 
slightly later than we were, that it's become slightly more flexible when we'll be aged by culture. Nevertheless, by middle age, women are no longer being portrayed as erotic. And interestingly, you'd think this would be changing as we all live longer, a whole generation longer than we did uh, at the beginning of the last century. But actually, when I come of age in the 1960s, and we have greater freedom, and particularly greater sexual freedom, what happens is the person who is iconic of women's sexuality then is Twiggy. And Twiggy, who becomes the main Vogue model of the 1960s, from 65 to 70, which has to retire at the grand old age of 20, is usually portrayed sucking her thumb or riding a bicycle. That is as a little girl whose sexuality cannot possibly mm. threaten men. Mm. And that is rather different, as I, uh, Julia Twigg points out, to the Vogue model who was um, on the covers often in the 1950s, and that's Mrs. Exeter, who was allowed to be aging. She was allowed to have white hair, because at that time, class trumped gender in terms of um, consumerism. So you, you, know, you had to appeal to the middle-class, middle-aged housewife. But by the 1960s, actually, there's even more stress on youth. And I think it's something to do with the fear of women's sexuality. Women's sexuality, particularly as they age, I think is what is threatening. Particularly as they age. So what do you think about portrayals um, and the changing portrayal of Well, I don't want to have women. a dust-up with Lynn, but I'm, no, I'm not no. agreeing with everything <laughs> that you're saying, because I think from the moment I uh, lived most of my life, which is the 15th century, something extraordinary <laughs> has happened to the condition of being female. And, uh, and we are all sitting up here, and none of us, I'm not going to tell, none of us are under 60, right? And our visibility and our sense of self is the kind of thing you would never have found even 100 years ago. So I, so I, well, sorry, we didn't have authority 100 years ago, right? Okay, but, but in terms of how through age things have changed. Maybe we could slip on to, uh, well, no, we can go to them later if you're interested. I can talk all about them. Um, and there is something to be said about them. All right, well, let's go to them just for a second. Because I, because I do think we've had three images here of older people which are dodgy, right? These are nuns, needless to say. And this is by the great artist Moroni, great exhibition here about two years ago on his portraiture. Um, this is a Velasquez portrait. What is she doing with that crucifix? <laughs> um, and this is one that I've taken, um, sorry, that's why it's a bit blurred, of, a, of a, a bust of a nun. But if you put those images, nuns who are not attractive because men can't get their hands on them, right, they're married to God, adultery is a serious problem there, um, mm. and you take the insane woman, mm. and you take the witches, what you're looking at in all those cases are women who are outside of the control of men in some shape or form. Mm. And therefore, the way that they're being portrayed is in some ways grotesque. And what men are sort of doing by portraying it... I'm Can not I suggesting pause you? Are you saying here. that the nuns are portrayed as in some way grotesque? Oh, yes, I think they are. Interesting. I think they are. Actually, this is, if you get further in, it's quite a sympathetic portrait. But you do not find a lot of gorgeous young nuns portrayed, with the exception of Benini's Ecstasy of St. Teresa. 
and that's not about God, right? Forgive me. Um, but, but, but otherwise, it is the fact that, yes, men at that period of time were frightened when women were out of their control, and they're out of their control when they stop being reproductive, right? And they're still around. And they're still around either as old women witches or as the insane or whatever. And so that has something to do with a quite primeval fear of a, a force you can't control. I don't think it's mm. just misogynistic. I think it's more almost profound than OK, that. we're going to jump forward a little bit now. We're going to go over Mrs Exeter to Edith Sitwell. Sitwell, uh, this was taken, I think, in 1962. And Edith Sitwell was... 75 years of age. Um, and so here's another portrayal of an older woman, different kind of portrayal. Um, I wonder what you think about this portrayal of Edith Sitwell um, and in terms of this question about how portrayals have changed over time of older women or whether they have. And um, what are we seeing here? Lynn, I'll start with you. Well, we do see a woman with authority and um, a certain significance then. She had a class significance. Class. Um, even more so than Mrs. Exeter, in fact. And, um, uh, you know, she's not available for men. And um, Not she's sure she being... ever was. Yes, exactly. And, um, I mean, there's always actually a difference, which I talk about in the book, between uh, a straight and lesbian and gay world, actually, yes, in yes. terms of mm. portrayals of ageing. And I find it's precisely in a straight world that there's more fear of older women's sexuality. For comp I didn't say it was just misogyny. I just said it's present. Yeah, that was my word. It's present. And it's present, I think, for quite complex reasons. I mean, it was very present in Freud, for instance, who at 49 talks about um, hmm. the older woman who, and by the older woman, he means a woman in her 40s, who, you know, sadly for everyone becomes rigid and it's and ineducable and, you know, these women yeah. who've been beautiful in, in the yeah. age yeah. of their womanliness. Yeah. Freud was certainly uh, very negative about <laughs> ageing. Yes, yeah. even though he was friendly with women. a lot of older women, like Lou Andreas Salome, who rather celebrates her old age. Whereas, as Freud is so frightened of yeah. And I think what helps this image of old women and sexuality is the commercial production of cosmetics. I mean, nearly all the women that we're seeing are actually wearing yeah. cosmetics. Um, I think even Edith Sitwell, but certainly if we go back to the, the Vogue cover that we saw a moment ago, um, she's obviously, I mean, what makes her more attractive and more sexual is the fact that she's wearing cosmetics. I mean, this is one of the great sort of democratic improvements for women's lives, particularly in the 20th century, that women who are normally just sort of, say, passable could actually almost come not close to beauty, but actually approaching a sense of beauty because their features could be emphasised by by beauty products which were cheap and easily available. But if we go back to the, um, the Edith Sitwell, which is the, one of the choices that I made, what uh, strikes me by this, uh, about this Cecil Beaton photograph is that this is a woman who's an art object as well yeah. as a real woman. She's actually, I think, 77, exactly. in her late 70s at this time, the sort of famous poet and writer. Um, this is a kind of gothic image. I mean, you get the sense here of a woman fairly close to death, 
Um, although she didn't die, I think, until 1964, two years later. But this sense of the sort of bleached bones, this kind of wonderful sort of bone effect of her face, and this extraordinary hairstyle, and she was known also for her dramatic sort of theatrical jewellery and the clothes that she wears. I mean, this is a deliberately sort of theatrical um, piece of photographic art. I'd like to talk about the media. I'd like to talk about the media. After you, sorry. Right. <laughs> hold those bones, hold those bones. You'd like to talk about what? The uh, medium. The medium, which is photography, yeah. right? Because I think that photography is an infinitely more democratic medium when it comes to who's controlling the image. So everything we've seen up until now has been art by men most of the time. Really, there are so few, few women artists, right, living in a commercial world. Whereas the reality, and it does happen to coincide with near the beginning of the first movement of feminism, the end of the, the 19th century, the camera essentially doesn't need 16 hours of somebody sitting for you. It does, you know, certainly by the time you get to this portrait. And if you think of the number of women artists who have gone out and reinvented old age as something beautiful through the camera or strange through mm. the camera or arresting through the yeah. camera, you know, Eve Arnold, Diane Arbus, whoever you want to go to, I think something about this is the control of the medium. And that's, I think it's just very well, important I, to put on the table. It's interesting say something, about something about slimness bones. and bones because yeah. Mrs Exeter has no belly and today we'll always find that um, female flesh has to more or less disappear, aging female flesh. And we actually have an old woman, Joan Didion, who's been yeah. chosen as a fashion mm. model mm. for the uh, upmarket French uh, Céline. She's got great but bones. But she looks like a skeleton. She looks completely skeletal, actually, and certainly no flesh at all. So there's something... I'm probably wearing spanks or something <laughs> like that, perhaps. <laughs> to be fair to Joan Didion, she never had any flesh. <laughs> Uh, if there's two pictures of her, we, we, we never got to them because they got right. excited. As we're going on to Joan Didion, I'm wondering if we should move on to this idea about the visibility um, of older women, which is kind of where we're going with these images, um, or at least partly. Um, so it's commonly said that older women, even nowadays, um, when you reach your 40s, you become invisible. Um, and a, an, a fellow academic has started questioning this idea of the invisibility of older women. To whom are we invisible? Um, and equally, to whom are we visible? So this is something that I'd quite like to think about um, with relation to some of these images. So what's the visibility of older women within society and contemporary society and within art? Um, and I wonder, Aileen, what you think about these images of older women contemporary images? Well, I think they're actually quite striking, particularly the one on the top left-hand side, Charlotte Rampling. Um, I do worry about the others, particularly. Are we, are we thinking of... Is, who's the one on the top right-hand side? Jane Fonda. Yeah, Jane. Jane, Jane Fonda. Fonda. And it's Helen Mirren, isn't it, on the sort of... Uh, Ubiquitous Helen Mirren. Mm. I think that's Helen Mirren on the bottom right-hand yeah. side. And Diane I mean, these are... A, a, Attractive women, not necessarily, I think, beautiful women. I mean, if I were given the choice of, of adding women to this particular gallery, I would perhaps say Vanessa Redgrave and Claire Bloom, um, who have, again, this amazing sort of bone structure and have the sense of intelligence and perception as well. But, I mean, as well as women in the media, I think there are 
a, a number of women who, by their, their very sort of history and their background and what they've actually achieved, um, really are beauties in the sense of being intelligent as well as actually physically attractive. And obviously, Aung San Suu Kyi, um, the great sort of Burmese democracy leader, is one who would immediately come to mind, I think, with, with regard to this, because she is an amazingly beautiful woman, but there's a sense of experience there. So beauty is about at heart as well as the head. I mean, the two things really have to go together. Thank you. These what women you have just about escaped it, but in general, the way in which the older woman, such as Julie Christie, is being portrayed in film is with dementia. And there's been <laughs> film, uh, film after film true. of older women with dementia, early onset dementia, because we can't really show really old women. But they're sort of as though the two are coming together, ageing the feminine dementia. And I think that... So that the only roles <laughs> left for older women right. are, are with well, dementia. Well, we used to be in horror movies. We used to, you know, Bette Davis and so on could be in a horror movie, Zombie but today movie. it'll be dementia. But Julie Christie famously said some years ago that she was never going to have sort of aesthetic cosmetic surgery, and then she finally succumbed, and that seems to be a crucial aspect. I don't know if any of these women, perhaps Jane Fonda, well, of dare course, I say this, might have had cosmetic look, the surgery. Reason, the reason that I picked them is because they probably would say they haven't, but I just don't believe it. Um, I don't think Charlotte Rampling has, actually, but I think Charlotte Rampling has an extraordinary, strange, ethereal beauty right from the beginning, which mm. is just aged and stained strange and ethereal right to the end. But the other three... But I, I, I sort of pick them because I'm getting angry about something here. And it's to, it's to do with the fact that, at one level, it looks like we are doing very well, because I, I, in this I disagree, that we are staying younger longer, right? But I have a problem with the idea that we want to be staying younger yeah, longer, okay? Um, because it seems to me that if we were really being brave, would we, we would be growing older and embracing it and making it the cultural icon and the thing that we should be making art out of. And, of course, at one level, I completely agree, Eileen, one of the reasons that we've been able to have this discussion at all is about cosmetics. I once remember a very good American academic saying, you want another word for feminism? It's called Clairol, right? And I remember thinking that was quite accurate in terms of how women have been allowed more visibility. But I am very worried about the fact that, and I'm a walking example of it, right? I get up to come here today, I've stuck cream on my face last night, I've had my hair done, I've dressed up, and people will say to me now, you look pretty good, gosh, you haven't aged at all. And at the same time as I'm taking that as a compliment, I think we're part of the problem. Of and I think that the enemy is no longer the male gaze, it's actually the market. And the market has no gender, and that's what's really terrifying. And I'm sorry, I, I wonder I didn't mean whether to the market has it. no gender. I think that's that's well, extremely questionable. The market but will that's sell another, to anything. That's another that conversation but yeah. for sure. But the market, I mean, you know, the market has always been there in a sense. Yes. I don't yes. think it has been for hundreds of years, and I don't think it's the male gaze anymore. In fact, it never was as much as the female gaze. I mean, we are judged by so we're doing it to women ourselves. as much as by men. And the great thing is about visibility. I mean, I, I sometimes think that actually this doesn't exist anymore. After all, we're visible, you're visible. 
you know, this sense of, 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 of really what we should do when we are entering what we call, for want of a better word, old age. Should we, you know, as Dylan Thomas said, do not go gentle into that good night, rage, rage against the dying of the light. You know, should we be like somebody like Germaine Greer, who's really having a, perhaps a problem at the moment with, um, uh, as she says, actually getting to grips with old age and the problem of being no platform for the, what she was talking about the other day, wasn't it about sort of gender issues? Transgender. And I think she's actually saying, you know, she's sort of, in a sense, rebelling against this idea that of old age and the traditional ideas that we associate with old age, that you have to protest about things, even if the circle is coming full circle and what as she was regarded as as dramatic and revolutionary in her days, now she's regarded as being slightly, you know, no longer I, Can I take issue I was that... going to say something, then, and I'll happily pass to you. One of the points you make in your book, Facing Beauty, is, is precisely that, that women have always dressed for each other and have always used cosmetics also for each other, not only for the male gaze, which I found quite an empowering observation and quite interesting as well. That's always stayed with me. Um, but also this idea of visibility is, is worth questioning um, because some of the, or many of the older women I know talk about not being invisible to each other. They're like, who are we invisible to? We see each other and we raise each other. We're not invisible. So we might be in the wider world and it's something that is worth questioning. And I'm going to move on to those images with that Wait, in mind. Uh, can I say... It's not, I really don't think it's the female gaze that is the problem. I do think it's the male sexual gaze. And over 50%, 60% of older women will end up living on their own. Most older men will not end up living on their own. And many of these older women, although we might even still be on platforms and have a certain authority, particularly as we present ourselves as more mother figures than sexual figures, then we might be able to find some place for ourselves. But to find a place for ourselves as sexual beings within a straight world as we age, if we're on our own, is extremely difficult. And those older women, including Germaine Greer, Virginia Ironside, a whole slew of women, have said, aging is wonderful. And by the way, that is what Germaine mm. usually says, that mm. aging is wonderful. So long as we give up sex, we're past sex, we're happily past sex. Now, I question that because no man is saying that. Every man, like Philip Roth, is saying, um, <laughs> No. Wait a minute. Our Philip sex Ross desires does... remain the same. I can give you example but after Lynn, example in of men saying man, that. In every he, man, he's yes. not talking about giving up sex, but he's not having sex. Exactly, is he? he's got desire, but it's not realised. Yes, because so, and partly because this look, Lynn, are you re flesh? He can't get it really up. He can't get it up. Are you, know, are you the really young women telling me that you want to have sex now in the same way you did when you were youthfully beautiful? Because I don't buy it. Okay, I'm moving on it. now because I don't think we're going to talk oh. about <laughs> sex lives. Uh, yeah, my answer Can would be yes. I yes. redirect oh. you to this image, which actually follows on quite neatly. This is a photograph by an artist called Ella Dreyfus, and it comes from a series of photos which were called Age of Consent. Um, she's photographing her mother. Um, who's absolutely consented to it. And I think it's a very interesting, fairly contemporary representation of an older woman. Um, I wonder what our panellists think about this. Nothing. <laughs> well, I 
think it illustrates my point. Uh, I, I, what I think about it is it's a polemic at some level, that that's what the statement she is making here. And, and I find that particularly interesting because she doesn't have a face. I think I, I understand what she's doing, yeah. right? I, I, I applaud the thinking behind it. But I'm kind of lost because I don't know where to put my sense of self because there no, there's no eyes, there's no person, there's no portrait behind it. So what do you it. think she's doing, though? I think you'd have to ask her because whatever okay. she's doing hasn't worked for me except as a piece of polemic, oh. which I'm very happy to have on a screen with lots of other things. But, but I, were she on the platform now, I would be very interested as to how she fits herself in. I agree that she needs a face. I really do think she needs a face. And it's in particular aspects of how we behave, our eyes, our, how we show affect, that actually doesn't change all that much with age. And by the way, if you go into an old people's home where most of them have dementia, you'll find they're not past sex. What they are past <laughs> is decorum. And they will be busy jumping into bed with any man who comes along and also telling yeah. their male caretaker right. to drop them and right. so on. We need, yeah. I think, still cuddles and hugs and we need physical contact whenever our age. remains important. Right. And that's all I ever needed. I think right. it, it's, it's, a, it's the sense of, of unvarnished, bare truth and the horror of old age, if that's the yes. right word I should use. Because it really is, uh, there's, there's, there's no sort of mediation by art in this image. Whereas if we look to our last image, which is Vivian Westwood, if we can do that. Oh, but can we go, go one? To our last, let's do this one. It's the same. That's well, it's same. very much the same, yes. isn't it? Exactly. So this comes the from the same. early 15th century. Yes, yes, which is exactly the same, really. That there's again this sense of the the unvarnished truth and the, what happens to the sagging of women's bodies um, after a certain point in life. But actually, but what this image does is it's telling you you should hate old women because the things that she's carrying around with her. This comes from a. Um, I snapped this in a, a gallery in Milan last week when I knew I was coming to do this. Right? She's carrying kind of pessimism as part of her yeah. other dug. I love that word for old women's breasts, dugs. She's got mm. dugs. Mm. Um, but the one before is the same image of a woman, but it's asking for a different reaction from you. You could not have put mm. that image from before out in the 16th century. Yeah that unvarnished, that without context. It would have been unbelievably shocking. Whereas this, this isn't. isn't. Yeah. Well, also what... because this isn't a real person as well, isn't it? So there is this sense of caricature as well, this kind of attacking of, of, of women's appearance that they really age in this somewhat more terrifying way. The bits of their body sort of, you know, sort of fall apart rather more than sort of men's. Yeah. So I think when it's a portrait and when it's the kind of intimacy yeah. of a portrait, that is a very different thing altogether. I think we should go to our last image, but before I show it, I would like to say that one of the things that we're interested in as well is the extent to which art might help us re-present older women and beauty. Um, and it's this image that um, helped me articulate that question. Um, and I would like our panellists to have a, each have a word about what they think of this. Well, I think that there are quite a number of artists and older women generally who are determined to be ageist resistors. 
and uh, in my book I found lots of them. Ageist resistors on, on across the board, I mean, including in relation to those hugs and sexual contact. Mm -hmm. I find it especially from older lesbian writers and artists, actually, thinking of Joan Nessel and her book Fragile Union, when she, you know, she's always been a sex radical and she remains a sex radical, and she says, wrinkled hands are what attracts me now, and I find old age to be a time of great passion. And Adrian Rich was saying much the same thing. But Cindy Sherman and a few other artists have began, I think not so well yet, but I'm sure they'll go on, to portray the masks of ageing, where they have their own face mm. and younger faces and older faces. And, but well, I, I don't, don't think, think Vivian the face is, is showing a mask of ageing uh, here. Well, what is she doing there? She's showing her red hair very prominently to match the <laughs> red Clairol. Yeah. Clairol. <laughs> <laughs> she is, it is a years sense old. of a work of art, though, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, if she isn't wearing a wig, her hair has dyed, as probably as her pubic hair. And she is, in fact, I think, recreating herself, or the photographer is recreating herself, as a sort of nude from the 18th century which is really the period which Vivian Westwood identifies yes. with. So it's removed in some way, in fact, mediated by art, removed from the sort of brutal reality, almost brutal reality of, of the naked woman whom we saw a moment ago. So it is, there are a few stages removed from that. And I think that, that's what makes it really quite interesting as a, as a form of comparison. Thank you. Sarah. I can't better that. I absolutely yeah. can't better it. Um, but what I, what I would just say is, can we also talk about real life here a bit? And, and I want to just bring in one word, which is politics. Because it does seem to me that one of the ways in which we really are changing our perceptions of women and ageing and what we perceive to be beautiful is that we're giving women more power. Not fast enough, not enough of it, but when I think of the century we've just lived through and the one that we're in, and I think of everybody from, I don't know, Indira Gandhi, Benarika, uh, Golda Meir, um, Margaret Thatcher, and now I think of Angela Merkel and Hillary Clinton. I think what you're looking at is a continual representation of women who have power and are not necessarily that interested anymore in what they look like because their hands are too full with other stuff. Mm. And I think that that gives them a kind of resonance and gets their feet deeply into the culture in a way which we can only be grateful for. I've noticed my own reactions to watching Hillary Clinton age over the two campaigns that she's been running. And when she first emerged in this second campaign, I've got some problem with her politics, but let's put that aside for now. Um, I began thinking, oh, Hillary, the double chin. Oh, I see something. The, the classic, the woman judging another woman. But over these last months, what I have just started to think is, whoa, there's a political fighter fighting for her life, just like Merkel is okay, doing the same thing. But there are fighters, for instance, I usually end my talks with Maggie Kuhn, who started the Grey Panthers, you know, who lived collectively with other people. And from when she was retired from her Presbyterian church at 65, for the next 30 years, she was involved in all sorts of political activity and forming Grey Panthers groups throughout the states. I don't know if they're still there, but she was very important in that movement of older women to still be out there in every way they wanted to be out there. And, and, and there certainly are a lot more of us doing that and able to do that. And, and it's very much spearheaded by women.
Thank you for listening. For more information about the Royal Academy, please visit www.royalacademy.org.uk.